right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. I just needed to hear it. We're good. Hey, welcome uh, to all you guys who are here and you guys who are joining us online as, as well. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Uh, I want to just share a, a real quick kind of, um, yeah, just some fun encouragement thing. You know, as you think about, um, you know, here we're going to hear about challenge and everything that that did in a couple of weeks and thinking about Nicaragua and these, these young people who gave their lives to Christ and, and everything that God was doing in and through our team there. Um, in addition, you may remember that um, about a month or so ago as elders, we asked um, for kind of a, a special giving uh, to move towards our parking lot loan, and uh, it's 150000 and we wanted to, to minimize that as much as possible. We saw, um, you know, a portion come in with combined with some of our capital improvement fund, and we paid over half of that loan down to about $70,000. And so uh, I just want to just invite you guys to celebrate with me um, what God is doing through the teams of Challenge, Nicaragua, um, and even our debt as well. Um, not to force that, but I just think that, you know, it's, it's worth celebrating what God is doing and who He is and what He's doing in our church and through uh, in order to, to help us do those things and to be faithful, good stewards in, in ministry. So, um, how many of you guys have seen the new movie, Maverick? Yeah, okay, quite a decent amount of you. If you don't know, um, Maverick is kind of a hit sensation in our, in our world right now. Uh, it is a, uh, the follow-up, a long-awaited, uh, both in, from the original but also through COVID, uh, a long-awaited uh, sequel to the movie Top Gun. Um, and, uh, and so in it, you have the main character who is now kind of the instructor uh, of this uh, young guy named Rooster who is the son of, of somebody from the previous movie. And so um, check out this picture. Um, This is a picture um, of my friend Carson. Uh, Carson uh, happened to be at Challenge, and he's one of my best friends. And and, uh, and he, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but when you put aviators on him, he looks exactly like Rooster from Maverick. and, uh, and so kids throughout the week were coming up to Carson with aviators and saying, hey, would you, would you put these on and we, can I take a picture with you, you know? Like, that's how crazy the culture is around Maverick right now. And what I love, I love about Maverick is that it's actually, this is so fascinating to me, um, is that it's, it's, it's bridging the gap between generations. Like, you've got an older generation who love the, the original movie and who love the follow-up, and now the new generation loves the new movie, right? And so there's this bridging, and it's really kind of fascinating. Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but uh, mustaches are officially back in. And um, there was a little bit of a, a wager in his group because I think that they had uh, a little bit of a debate about whether or not he should keep his uh, or not. And so he said, if you guys walk more steps than me in, a, in the week, then I will shave my mustache. And so here's what they did. I kid you not. They had a Fitbit, and then they passed it from kid to kid throughout the week, who in their free time, away for a week, in their free time, took turns running on the treadmill <laughs> just to get him to shave his mustache. At the end, you'd think that he would have lost by a lot. He lost by 300 steps, and they cheated, so he didn't shave it, you know, so, you know, um, just so you know. Um, but here's the thing, like movies, uh, movies are, are, are dear, um, a dear aspect of our culture, the culture that we live in. And for many of us in this room, myself included, we, we love uh, the entertainment that comes with, with movies. And this morning, we're going to talk about that um, a little bit more because I think the gospel demands that we look at the things that we're consuming uh, in life. Um, and, and movies, just kind of from a, from a big umbrella standpoint, we know that movies can be, 
can do really, really good things, right? Movies uh, can make us laugh, right? In times of hardship and, and need, they can make us cry, um, right? They can uplift us, they can inspire us, they can, they can move and motivate, uh, move and motivate us to, to better living and to better, you know, realities or whatever. So there's, there's lots there, but, but movies can also do the opposite, right? Movies can, can teach hatred, uh, and they can teach racism, they can teach sexu- sexuality, uh, they can teach vengeance, revenge, poor senses of justice, right? And, and this is one that, and I don't know if you know this, and, and maybe you're attuned to this, but this is something that I think Disney does so well, is that they weave the same without us seeing it very often, is that they weave in this idea of self-sufficiency, into their movies. And it's very humanistic and it's centered around who we are and, and what we need and from ourselves and, and, not, and, not, in any, and not in any way, shape, or form in need of an outside uh, divine God who can do that and change those things for us, right? And so uh, the reality is, is that movies have both sides. They do, they do both things or they can and some are better than others and some are a mix and a blend and, and some we should maybe just toss away altogether. But the reality is, is that for each of us, if we had our buckets up here, we could just start filtering through movies and TV shows or whatever it is. In fact, we talked about this in our life group this week. It just kind of happened to come out. We started talking about all these different things and through the generations of, of, our, of our attendance and the different things that we watched and what was good and what was not good. And, and as we started wrestling through those things, you go, gosh, okay, where would, I, where would I put those categories? Is this wise? Is this unwise? You know, this type of movie or that type of a movie, right? And we have these buckets. And I think it gets even trickier in today's world. Um, because when you move into the, to the fantasy, into the science fiction world, all of a sudden, this reality we know is no longer reality because the movie is portraying something that is not real. And we know that. And so it's easy for many of us, myself included, sometimes to see those movies, to see them come into the market and go, I don't need to worry about that because that's not real. I got it. That doesn't really affect me because I know it's not real. <laughs> Right? That's one. That's one option. I can just totally disregard it. Um, and the other is that we could become overly dogmatic, and we could go home and be like, "Man, guys, we need to cancel all of our subscriptions. We, you can't, you know, like the TV. You know, like, like we're gonna get rid of everything. Like, there's these two polar opposite ends, right? And neither of those is the stance I'm taking. I'm not saying like don't, like I'm not saying ignore it and just let it go. And I'm not saying do this over here. What I'm saying is that, and this is just what Proverbs teaches. I think is that we need to discern what is wise. And, and what is wise for you might be different from what is wise for somebody else, right? And so we have to play both sides of that, and we have to understand that everybody's story is, is a little bit different, but there needs to be this great conversation uh, around it. Now, you might say, Seth, I don't, I don't watch movies. I'd never watch anything like that, so don't confuse me. This sermon has nothing to do with me. I'm going to push back on that for a second, because here's why I think that this is super relevant to you as well is because somebody you know loves those things. And that's a part of their narrative. And if it's not someone that you're just investing in spiritually, it might be somebody who lives down the street who is a person that you're investing in for the sake of the gospel. And we need to know how to wisely and appropriately engage the truth, what is true and what is not true, in the midst of the cultural battles of today's world that we live in. 
if that makes sense. So I think this is relevant for every single person in this room, especially when you think about the rise of entertainment. Like, like Star Wars just not too long ago released Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then people consumed it, you know? Like Star Wars fans just ate it up. I was like, you couldn't wait till the next one, and it's like they're all gone, right? It's like, it's like opening up a bag of Reese's for me. Like as soon as you open it, they're done. Um, so you have like that, you've got Marvel, their expanding universe that keeps going and keeps going and going. And then you've kind of got, you know, this, this, dare I say, kind of this cult following almost of like the idea of Stranger Things, right? And it's, it has the like really neat things in it, but it's also very dark. And so there's all these questions that we have as parents and as people around, right? What is appropriate? What's helpful? What's wise in today's, ultimately in today's world? And, and, and as a culture, we are a people who have, I mean, I would say even even over the last 10 years, been taken by storm uh, in, in the world of entertainment, right? It's always been a big thing. But with the, with the rise of Netflix and everything else, I mean, you have like how many apps now that you can get on your phone to watch things and, and to consume things, right? I mean, it feels unlimited, the amount of things that they're laying at our feet to consume in again, any given day, uh, in any given moment. And, as a, and as really, as a nation, as a culture, we're, we're pretty hooked on these things. And so I think it's incredibly important that we talk about the idea uh, of movies. I think that the gospel demands that we talk about the things that we watch, right? I think that's really, really important. And so here's my hope this morning, um, just kind of from the big umbrella, from the, from the get-go, the big idea here is that I just hope, I hope that for each of us, and this might feel a little general, but I do think it's true, is that for hope for each of us as individuals and collectively as a group of people, as a body, that we would increase our sensitivity, Okay, so don't just hold it over here, right? Like the sense of like, I, like I want to start thinking a little bit more intentionally and deeply about what is the gospel? How does the gospel come into these things, right? Um, and the second one is this, increase our sensitivity. And the challenge is this, is to increase our intentionality, right? So as you uh, hear about things or as you watch things together as a family or as you, whatever it is, as you do your research, say so you don't watch it, you find out what it is, like how do I engage in conversation around these things uh, in, in a helpful way that points people towards Jesus? I think that's very, very important. It's very, very significant. So that's my, my hope and my challenge. And so as we jump into the Bible to talk about this topic of movies, you might say, Seth, how in the world do we talk about movies and, and from a book that was written thousands of years ago, right? Like that feels a little anachronistic. It feels a little out of time. Um, but here's the deal. Like we know that the Bible, even though it wasn't written to us, it was written for us. So um, we also believe that there's one interpretation of this, that we're always striving to get what the author said correctly, right, in its original audience original context, etc., right? But even though there's one interpretation, there is unlimited application, unlimited application. So the book that you hold in your hands or have on your phone, right, is trustworthy for every single aspect of today's culture. This speaks into it, and I want you to know that. I want you to trust that, that that's true. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into Psalm 23, which talks about a man. It's, it's all around wisdom, right? And it's, it's kind of focused a little bit on wealth, but at the core of this psalm, the idea is about greed. And greed builds out of this narrative for more. And remember from last week, there's these two narratives at play, right? We, are, we desire more, 
in life because we're designed for more. We're designed for more of God, and yet the world's narrative is something different, and we, just, we actually then end up desiring the things, more of the things that don't satisfy us and that, that don't move us closer ultimately to God, right? If that makes, if that makes any uh, any sense. And so as we talk about this, you know, we know there's one interpretation, unlimited application, like we can trust ultimately what this is going to say about greed and how that really talks to us uh, about movies. Um, and I think that for us, one of the things that I've just kind of been, and maybe this is what God is speaking to me this week, um, and I think I've always known this, I'm guessing you do too, but I, I realized this with a sharper, a sharper reality this week is that we as a culture are gluttons for entertainment. We, we do. We love it. We love to be entertained, whether it's movies or TV or sports or, or recreation, whatever it is. We fill our lives with entertainment. Uh, and my guess is, is that we probably do it more often than we would care to admit. Right? That's just a part of our reality and the business of our lives and, and, and the stress that we face and how we, we approach TV and approach movies and, and all that stuff. And so Psalm 23 talks about a man who sits down at a table and who is given something to eat. And he has to discern and choose, is it wise for me to eat what's been placed in front of me? If that makes sense. Okay. All right, here we go. Psalm, uh, excuse me, not Psalm, Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, here we go, verse 1. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. Okay, so just imagine the context here for a moment. Uh, you are invited over to somebody else's house, uh, someone who is of significant wealth and power, and they invite you to a table, and they slide some food across the table, okay? So that's kind of a sense what's happening here, is that the author or the father is talking to this young man. He says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, right? right? When you do that, as he slides that food in front of you, here's what I want you to do, okay? He doesn't say, eat it right now. He doesn't say, don't be a rude or a critical guest and, and, and just eat what's placed in front of you. He says, no, observe carefully. That's what he says. He says, observe carefully, right? Notice with great intentionality what's been placed in front of you. Now, if you're like me, um, you probably, once you've had good food, you just, you just love to consume it. So, uh, this last week, um, you know, uh, Nikki and I got a little sick, and so somebody from church, a family, um, offered to bring us some, some food, and, and so, which was super nice of them, and so they said, we're going to Panera or Chipotle, which would you like? And I was like, no-brainer, Chipotle, that's our family favorite. So, and he's like, great, what's your order? I said, I don't even need to look at the, at the menu. I can tell you right now. It's da 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 You know, I just like put all the way through it, right? Boom, sent, delivered, perfection in my tummy, right? And as soon as it came, I just... Just, I just devour it because I love it. It's so good. Like when something looks good and smells good, like we don't tend to do this. Hmm, wow, that, what, excuse me, what's, what is this? What's in here, right? That's not oftentimes the way that we do it. Now, I, I will say that for me, um, when I go to a restaurant because I have this intense, and I'm going to say this, and yes, I'm going to use these words, and I, and I get it that I might catch flack for this. I have an intense hatred for mayo, okay? Um, 
I really, really, really dislike, maybe I should say that, dislike mayo. I just can't stand it. Like, it, it, like if I eat mayo, bad things will happen. Like, if I go to your house and there's mayo, like, like you and I will be cleaning up a very different mess, okay? Um, it's not good for me. I gag. I do all these things. And so when I go to a restaurant or somebody offers, I always feel mean. I always feel rude. But I go, excuse me. I'm sorry. Can I be a little high maintenance? Does this have mayo in it? And I have to observe carefully, right? Uh, and if you're a parent, and if you know um, that your son or daughter has specific dietary needs, if they eat peanuts or something, that's an allergy that can cause severe reactions or, or worse, right? Or if that's you, then you might be used to asking these questions. But for many of us, when good food is laid in front of us, what do we do? We eat it. We just throw it down the hatch. We're like, yum, that was delicious, more. They're like, you don't say, hey, what was that? <laughs> you know, what was in it? You just give me more, right? This is the way that we oftentimes eat food. But that's not what the author says here. The author, as he, when he comes to this, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be cautious. I want you to be cautious. I want you to observe carefully the food that is in front of you. Now, here's the deal, okay? So just so we're, we're very clear, okay? The author of Proverbs here is not concerned with the food that's going into your belly. That's, there, there, are, there are times when that is true, especially in New Testament. There's gospel issues around that, like food being offered, you know, and sacrificed to idols, etc. right? But here, his, his goal is not to, for you to observe the food. The food is a metaphor for what, the, for what the ruler is giving you. It's what the scenario and the environment is creating. It's ultimately what he is passing to you, what he's selling to you. And so when he says, the author says, you observe carefully, there is a righteous way in which you can enter into this space or into this environment with a righteous or healthy skepticism. Because there's a whole host of questions that you and I could be asking when, we, when it comes to the things that we consume. One would be, how much does this cost me? Right? Like, how much, like how, much, how much money does this actually going to require? How much time or energy? All those types of things. Um, another um, might be, like, gosh, like, what does this person really want from me? Like, what are, what, are they, what are they really getting at? Like, is there something that they're really trying to, to push on me? Another is this, and I think this is probably one of the most important ones, is what is the effect that this is going to have on me? Right? Like, what is this effect going to have? And so later we find that this food that he's pushing and giving him are these delicacies. So maybe one of the questions is, will eating this, whatever this metaphor is, or maybe it's food or movies, will eating this, will it create in me a longing for more of that, which I know that I don't have? Because that's an effect. Will it create this desire for more? More and more and more. Do I need that? Well, I need it more and more and more. Or, or will it have an effect in terms of how I act and how I treat people, right? Um, those types of things. There's a whole host of questions here. And I love the intentionality of the father because the father here or, or the instructor, or the, you know, as he's talking here, he isn't, he isn't encouraging rudeness. He isn't in, encouraging critic, criticism. He's encouraging wisdom. He says, I want you to stop and push pause, and I want you to allow this fast-moving moment to slow down and push pause, and I want you just to stop and use your brain and use wisdom and observe carefully that which is being placed in front of you. 
Again, we're not talking about food. We're talking about the things that we consume, right, outside of that. And it's so easy, guys. It's so easy for you and I just to eat, eat food because in the culture that we live, there is this sense in which we are gluttons for entertainment. And not often do we maybe stop and go, gosh, is this really, like, how do I observe carefully the things that are coming into my body, Right? Because there are things when I go, man, that's not a big deal, so I don't even worry about it. When I go, man, maybe I should stop and just think, like, well, how should I increase my sensitivity and how can I increase my intentionality around some of these things? Because we know that the decisions that we make in any given moment right, are changing and shaping our character and what God ultimately wants for you and I is to be remade into the image of Him, into His Son more and more likeness of Jesus, right? And with each decision that we make, we either move towards wisdom or we move towards folly, right? And it's not, it's not just a place that we're going, it's the state of our being that God is ultimately um, caring about. He wants to see us make wise decisions, right? Okay, so as the scenario continues, right? So observe carefully, that's where it starts. Now look at verse three. He's gonna shift from, from the brain to the heart, Okay, right? Because it's going to go from this observation to this heart desire. Verse 3, he says, Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Right? And then he goes on, he says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Right? So there's this idea, like, like you got, okay, some brain to heart. And so in some sense, what he's doing is, is make that the intentionality to sever as that's beginning to, to shift down to the heart. He's like, sever that. Like, don't let that get down into your heart. Right? Don't desire those things. Why? Because they are deceptive foods is what he's ultimately, what he's ultimately saying. And I love that, that word uh, desire uh, in Hebrew is, is kind of this idea of an incline, right? And so if you think about like a teeter-totter, you know, like incline or decline, like, like when you think about this, like I love about this word is that it acknowledges the depravity of the human condition, right? The utter brokenness and the utter chaos that exists in the world and in the human soul that you and I in our are predisposed, we are inclined to what? Choose the things in life that are not good for us. And so it's like that desire continues just to weight it down, right? And he's like, don't add more weight to that, right? I know that's our inclination, but don't keep adding to it, which makes it so hard for us to ultimately say no. Because when something that looks so good, right, and we know is going to taste good, and maybe it's a food or something that we've never, ever had before, all of a sudden I have these multiple desires that are going on inside of me all at the same time, and all I want to do is to reach out and grab it and consume it and take it for myself, right? And it's that idea of more, right? But what the author is, is helping us understand in this, guys, is that the, this ruler, this power at B in front of you is whining and dining you, right? They are giving you the best of everything that they have, right? And it's not just a feast because that would be the lie. If they're just, hey, come on over and eat some food, right? If that were the thing, if it were just a feast, that would be one thing, but it's not. What he's saying is that it's not just a feast, it's a test of character, Will I be wise in this moment? Will I be wise with what's placed ultimately in front of me? And go, okay, how do we shift this to the idea uh, of movies here just for a second? What's the application here with movies? Um, 
don't know if you know this. I was doing some reading on this. This is kind of this week, and just kind of opened up my eyes to some of these things and why maybe certain directors win certain awards and whatnot. Because a good director is able to to manipulate a story in such a way on screen and through its writing and through its cinematography or whatever it is through its filming that it can control. They can control your emotions as you watch it. Right? So their, their whole thought and sense is to gear your emotions and your mind and everything into steer and to control their way through that. And sometimes that's really, really good. We know that. We're not discounting that at all. But there are other times, right, when, when those movies are steering us towards things, towards that second narrative, right, that says that you need more of the other things and not about God. Right? And, and good directors know ultimately how to do that. And so at the bottom, at the end of the day, right, every movie in, in some way, shape, or form has an element of control. They have to alter reality so that they can tell the story in the way they want you to hear it, which is so different than this. Because this, remember we talked about last week, even though it starts with perfection, and it ends with perfection. Guess what? The bulk of this is about this is the way that life is in all of its brokenness. This is the real realism, right? This is about the chaos, the, the systemic brokenness in every human being across all of time, forever and ever until Christ comes back. And this is about the God, and this is about who he is and how he's interacting and engaging with the world to make that right. There's no sense in control. He's not pushing you. He's saying, this is the way that it is. What do you think about life? And what do you think about the gospel? And what do you think ultimately about Jesus, right? And so again, we see that this, the, both of these narratives are rooted in this, this, this need for more because our, we have this desire for more because we're designed for more. And so we long for God and yet we end up filling so much of our life with these other things. And it's things that we gloss over oftentimes. It's I myself. I, I, I allow that into my life and I'm like, wait a minute, I just glossed over the fact of whatever was just in that. I just glossed over it because I'm so used to it, or whatever that is, right? And so what we have to know is that when we're watching those types of movies or those types of things, what, what it's creating is this narrative that's different than reality. And when he says, do not desire those things, it has this natural consequence, this natural result. Because if, if I don't, if I'm not carefully observant of what's in front of me, if I allow myself to look at that, all of a sudden it becomes a desire, and I go, wow, that looks really good. I want that. What's the natural ramification? What's the natural sequence of events? Now I'm going to pursue it and to live for it, right? There's this mind, head, to the heart, to the hands, which is why he says, do not toil over these things. Do not toil for wealth. Do not toil for riches. Look at verse 6. He says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. 
right? It's the second time he's talking about delicacies. And guys, here's the reality is that we, we, we long for the things that we don't have. We long for new experiences, new realities. And so if something is a delicacy, we go, man, I never really get to have this, so I need more of it. I want more of it. But here's, what, here's the, the concern from the author. He says, this man is like one who is inwardly calculating. That just means this. More literally, it means in his soul. As a man calculates in his soul, so he is. And you're like, wow, that's super deep. That sounds really good. What does it mean? <laughs> it means this. It means that someone's internal thinking exposes their identity. If this is the way that you think, this is your identity. Jesus said something very similar, didn't he? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also right? It exposes the inner thinking, exposes the identity. So while this guy, this ruler is saying, eat up, eat up, eat up, take as much as you want. We've got plenty of that in the back. Bring out some more, right? Internally, what's happening in this guy's life, this ruler's life, is that he's actually revolted by his guest. He doesn't care about the person that he's giving these things to, right? He doesn't care about them at all, his outward generosity is not his true motive. So all of a sudden, I begin to see this food that's being passed to me. And I go, ah, man, that doesn't have the same appeal as maybe as it once as it once did. It's a little bit grosser kind of at the end. And as I get it. So again, not to discount this, I think there are tons of movies that leave us and, and their pure motive is to inspire and to encourage and to love. And there are good things out there. But then there are movies that don't do that. There are movies that don't. That's true. We all, we all know that. And here's the thing. Here's what this author, I think, is telling us, is telling you and I as listeners to this text. He says this. He says, don't buy what he's selling because he doesn't even buy it himself. He's giving you something that he knows is not the right answer. You see, the brokenness of that more narrative of the world is just as broken for the seller as it is for the consumer. He says, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Movies, guys, this is something that's been a a challenge and a conviction for me this week. Movies are a delicacy because they promote something, this taste of this unreality, this difference of life that leaves me longing for something outside of the way that normal everyday life is. At times, that's good for me, and at times, that's not good for me. And what we need is wisdom. What we need, ultimately, is wisdom in this, right? And I want to just kind of move towards the end with this. Look at verse 12. Here's the forward thinker, right? He's going to put us into this moment where he gives us a glimpse into the future. And he talks about this son. As he talks about this man, this young man, he says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. And so what he's saying, because we're not talking about like spanking or any of those types of things, right? What we're talking about, and, and what I want to make clear in this just very briefly, is that if you're a parent, 
Do not shy away from this, because I know there's a lot of fear. Guys, like, like, gosh, as a parent of a four-year-old, like, I get it. You talk about screen time, oh, you want to unleash craze in our house? It's like, ah, screen time, whoa, holy cow, that was a much bigger reaction than I anticipated, you know? Like, it is a fearful thing at times for us to engage in these types of things, and yet I would just encourage you to not fear from it, to not to hide from it, right, but to go towards it and to have conversation. Because what he's doing is that he's setting up this moment to say that as you are disciplining in, in throughout life, that what you're doing is you're engaging in wisdom, intentionality throughout the time. There is this hope that in the day, as that person begins to make decisions for themselves, at some point, you will save their life because they will have chosen it themselves. And when that happens, when that truth comes out of somebody else's lips that you have been working with, it's, it's praiseworthy. You're like, wow, they get it. So look at what God has done in them and how he's been working in and through them. It's this beautiful, beautiful moment, right? And this is how we end. Look at verse 17. This is, let not your heart envy sinner." Right? Don't put yourself in a place where you're looking at what those people have more and more and more. Let your not heart envy sinners. But here's the deal. He says, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. You see, the prescription is the fear of the Lord, which goes all the way back to chapter 1, verse 7, beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord right? He says, that's the prescription. What's the interruption? It's envy. It's that when I begin to become, and when I'm not complacent in the things that God has for me, I begin to lie, to desire more of the things that, that lead me ultimately away from God, right? That's, that's what he's, he's, really, he's really talking about in this. He says, do not envy those people, right? This is the prescription, the fear of the Lord, and I love this. He says this all day long, right? It's, it's, it's a morning. It's a sunrise to sundown. And here's the thing. This is the challenge for everybody in this room, and this is the challenge for me. Is that, and maybe I would guess that everybody here is probably like me in some sense. You get home from work, depending on the day, and you go, man, I'm exhausted. I'm done. Great. What do we do? Let's watch a TV show. Right? And it's easy to do that at times. And it's easy just to, to take our guard down, right? And to find our, our self secluded in this place that's other than reality. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says on this. He says, What we need is an ordinary, commonplace, everyday godliness, which may be compared to the light of the fixed stars that shine forevermore. Which brings us to the gospel. And as we think about Jesus and who he was and, and what he came to do and his missional focus and leaving a heavenly reality for the sake of a sinless life and a sinless death so that, that by grace through faith that we would have this gift of eternal salvation and as a result of being transformed, we are no longer old creations. We are now new creations. And as a part of that, we are, we are cut free from the bondage of sin and death. And here's the great news. With that new life comes freedom. For us from sin. And it also gives us freedom to pursue life, right, in, in the midst of the brokenness of this world. But what Jesus says to us, and he says this, guys, here's the deal. Even as new creations, here's what I long for you to do. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first 
the kingdom of heaven. Guys, I want to just share a couple of quick verses with you from the New Testament as we think about just the gospel, right? This is over in 1 Corinthians. And he may, this may sound familiar to you, but he says this. This is part, he's talking about freedoms that we have as, as Christians uh, now walking in grace, uh, kind of set free from sin and death. And he says this. He's talking about food and things, but he says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, right? And that's where wisdom enters in, right? All things are lawful, but not all things build up, right? And he goes on to say this in 31, and this is kind of the, this is the dream, right? This is, this is you, go, you look about, you talk about life is worship, so whether, the, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And they go, wow, like that's sun up to sundown, right? That's the fear of the Lord beginning to end, is that in everything I do, whether I eat or drink, whether I watch this or I don't watch that, I'm doing it for the sake of the glory of God, and I understand what I am eating and what I am consuming and that I am understanding the gospel and its ramifications and its implications and I choose with wisdom what to put into my body. And I want to leave you with this. This is kind of my big idea. And when I think about a life, as, life of worship, guys, if you guys want to live a life of worship, if you want to go sun up to sundown in the gospel, it demands wisdom because there's so many things that happen in any given day that need the gospel to be reinforced, infused into that space where we can look to Christ and point myself to Christ and point other people to Christ. And so while my hope was to, to increase sensitivity and, and to increase our intentionality, I want to end with these three questions. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come forward. Um, and the first one is this. Does what I watch make me grieve? And when I, when I say that, when you watch something on TV and you see or movie and you see something that you know is the antithesis of who Jesus was and what he came to do and the way that he lived his life, when people do that on TV, does it hurt your heart? Does it hurt your heart? The second one is this. Does what I watch steal joy from heaven, right? We are created to long for the things that are above, right? And even in the end, he says is that your hope, your future will not be cut off. There will be an end to the stuff that we deal with on these daily basis. But does what I'm watching in whatever that is, is that in any way, shape, or form stealing joy from the eternity that God has given me? Am I replacing the joy of heaven with what I watch? And the last one is this. Does what I watch or listen to enhance or dull my sense of urgency for the kingdom? Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up this morning, I just, I want to acknowledge just that I think this is one of those things, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that the world holds really dear to the heart. And this is a challenging thing. It's a difficult thing for us to wrestle through. Like, there are a lot of things that we say, God, I'm willing to let you touch that. Um, but there are a lot of things that we just, we want to gloss over and miss. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. And, Lord, I pray that we would not be people who just become ultra-dogmatic or, or just the opposite where we just leave this place and go, ah, it doesn't really matter. Lord, I pray that we would be found in the middle as people who long and desire to discern what is godly wisdom in today's world. And how does what I watch and what I eat, how does, that, how does that affect me? And am I longing for something? Does it create in me this longing for something other than you? And God, you deserve all of our worship, right? This fear of the Lord from sunup to sundown. That's who you are and what you ask from us. And so for whatever we do, whether we watch or don't watch, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom, but that in the midst of that, we would with confidence in the gospel say, this is for the glory of God. And then we understand and acknowledge the freedom that we have in Christ, but may we never, ever, ever, ever use our freedom as an opportunity to sin. May we not presume on your grace. God, would you have all of our hearts this morning as we wrap up in worship, or would we sing with all of our might that we would build our life on you. In your name we pray, amen.